1: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the You'll be set for life. We're in Second Kings 18, and I'm gonna call this one Demons Dealing Doubt. And they will do it, they will try. And there's been times before I've dealt with demons before, you can tell because they will try to speak against your calling. They will try to speak against what God told you to do. They will speak against the promises of God, and they are eerily um, specific in their attacks. And we're going to see some of that here in 2 Kings 18, where some demons try to deal out doubt. Okay, 2 Kings eighteen one. now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Well, we finally have a good king now in Hezekiah. I've been waiting for that, and he uh, he was a good king. King Ahaz was not. In chapter 16, it says that he did not do what was right in God's eyes. So how nice we have a good king now. And it doesn't just say that Hezekiah did right, but it adds That he did right according to what David had done. The Bible is real big on standards. You measure yourself according to something else. Not according to yourself. Everybody, are you saved? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. They just gauged themselves on themselves as being the standard. You don't gauge yourself based on you. You have to have something external to you. To gauge yourself on. We gauge ourselves, we walk according to the standard of God's word. Well in Kings, according to Kings here, he was gauged according to how David had done. Now to say he did as good as David, what David had done, that is a that is one high bit of recognition. Because we remember how David was. Although Judah Had good kings in the past, though, they had some good kings. Only three other kings in Judah have been described like this, like David. That was King Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah. And now we have Hezekiah here. That's four. David was the fifth of this kind of rank. So you just got your top five list here of the best kings of Judah. And these are a special mention for them. So we got good things coming. What did he do? 2 Kings 18.4. He removed the high places. I could stop right there and go, whew, because we've been going for many, many chapters. We had a good king, but he didn't remove the high places yet. We had another king. He was evil, and he did not remove the high places. Every chapter seems like we're being told he did not remove the high places. That's not where God wanted to be worshiped, but he did. He removed the high places. Finally, And broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Awesome find here. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. I hadn't heard about that bronze snake since the Exodus. Long time ago. So... Now, I remember reading that King Jehoshaphat had already removed the high places back in his day. We, we did read that. So apparently this means that the people had come along and rebuilt the high places all over again. They went and undid what Jehoshaphat had done. But now Hezekiah came in and tore them down. He's one of them top fiver kings, so good for him. He actually obeyed the Lord. He set up the place of worship the way the Lord wanted it. And what an amazing and unexpected, hit you upside the head, find here to find that the Israelites had been worshiping the bronze snake that Moses had made probably five years before this. They still have that thing that Moses had. 500 years later, they still have this bronze snake. What was this bronze snake for? What was it about? Well, the Israelites, they had wandered off into sin like all of us are so prone to doing. After God brought them out of Egypt and as punishment for their sin, he caused serpents to come and bite them. That's Numbers 21 verse 8. Then the, they ran to Moses, what do we do? We're getting bit, we're, we're getting killed out here. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay, so that was a standard for them to look at, that God was trying to show them something. So now, fast forward 500 or so, give or take years, a long, long time And that bronze snake had been kept by the people to be used as yet another religious idol in itself. Oh, that snake has power. Forget God. (laughs) God's the one that said to make it. Here's something for you to recognize here. Wasn't the snake that had the power. It was the Lord that told them to do this, but they're worshiping the snake. They are so idol-prone, they'll bow in front of a fence post if they thought it had anything to it. And so they... The reason they called the bronze snake Nehushtan, this crazy religiousness, they named it Nehushtan, is because that was the name of a false god that had the power to cure snake bites at that time. Nehushtan. Well, that must be the god of Nehushtan right there. Let's call it Nehushtan, and we're going to bow and all this crazy stuff, right? So they were given credit over to Nehushtan, and they totally forgot it was the Lord who had saved them. Have you ever in your life, me, gotten to a place where you gave something else credit for getting you out of trouble instead of the Lord? Boy, I just got that big bonus. Whew! saved me out of that big mess. (laughs) Thank you, bonus. You ever done that? Okay, this is just putting more different terms for us to see. The Lord saved them. 2 Kings 18.5. Of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. It's about time. After all these payoff kings we saw, verse 8, he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Yes. I just want to go, yes, it's about time. (laughs) So look how it says the Lord was with him and prospered him. Yes, that sounds great. I want the Lord to be with me and I want that prosperity. Give me that prosperity. That's what I want. That's what most of the supposed Christians in the nation today are saying. Lord, bless me. Lord, prosper me. That's what I want right there. See, the Lord does it. He does it. So that's what I want. But it says that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel first And he did what he told him to do. There's your prerequisite. You want this prosperity? Yes, give it to me. Then you got to do what God tells you to do. He tells you to repent, walk away from that sinful thing you're doing, then you need to do it. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay. There goes your prosperity. He trusted in the Lord. He did that. He obeyed him as a prerequisite. He did that first. Too many people want the blessing, but they don't want to obey him. They want to do their own thing. Lord God, bless my life, but stay out of it. I'm going to do what I want to do for me. And because you love me, and if you're going to be good in my estimation of what good is, then you have to bless me. No, he's God and we're not. And so the Lord strengthened Hezekiah up above previous kings who had tried to buy their way out of trouble. And Hezekiah stood up to the Assyrians and the Philistines. We saw a lot of buyout kings. A king of Assyria come to attack and they said, here, take all this money. Everybody in Israel, cough it up. Here, take this money, leave us alone. Leave us alone. That never works. You can never appease a bully. They always want more. So you remember, King Ahaz, he rearranged the temple worship. Remember, take the altar, move it over there. Take those carts apart, do move the temple stuff over here, take that over there change it we 're going to bring in a new altar. I saw one just like it in damascus I love it we 're going to put it there we 're going to do it this way. He changed the worship structure all up, and it got them in trouble. He arranged the worship, the temple worship, it got them in trouble now, if you read second chronicles chapter twenty nine through thirty one if you want to read that later. It says that Hezekiah, to add to what he did, that's not here in 2 Kings, but if you read that, it says that Hezekiah put the temple back in order again. Everything that had been done wrong to mess it up before, Hezekiah fixed it. This is a good king. He put it back in order. Plus, he celebrated Passover. He did a lot of work bringing proper worship back to the Lord the way the Lord wanted it. And so because of that, the Lord blessed his leadership with prosperity. You lead somebody. You either lead someone at work or in your family, whatever. You lead somebody. If you want prosperity and what your influence is, you need to do what God says first before you start expecting blessing. Did you know that blessing has to come after obedience obedience is first and so the lord blessed his leadership militarily economically simply because he submitted himself to what the lord told him to do it's a really simple equation i don't know what to do my life's a mess are you doing what the lord told you to yes really and when you peer in a little deeper you find out there's a lot of things they're not doing that the lord said to do there you go there's your problem he obeyed. 2 Kings eighteen nine. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea the son of Eli, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, sh- here we go, Shalmanezar, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, which is part of Israel, and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away, captive to Assyria, and put them in Halah, and by the Hebor, the river of Gozan, and the city and the cities of the Medes. Because, why? We're still in that simple equation, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. Pretty simple. But transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And they would neither hear nor do them. Guys, does it get any more clear cut than this? How this thing works. Now, you remember we just did chapter 17. The kingdom of Israel was taken down. We're still, we still have the kingdom of Judah here, but Israel's gone. So we're given a reminder again. This is kind of a recap of the previous chapter of a reminder of why they fell Hezekiah saw this, he knows that what happened to them, he's very well aware of what happens to a kingdom when they turn against the Lord. He, is, he knows what the consequences are, okay? He has that in his back of his mind. 2 Kings 18, 13. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, oh, bless my redneck mouth, Sennacherib, Sennacherib, Sennacherib. Sennacherib. Sennacherib, okay. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. I just want to go stick my head in the sand and groan for a minute. He's saying the same thing. The king's before him. We just got this great report card. And now all of a sudden he's doing the same thing. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I'll pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. A talent is about 75 pounds. It's estimated it could be 75 to 100 pounds. So why did he say, I did wrong? Why did Hezekiah say that to him? Hezekiah had joined an alliance before this with a bunch of other nations to help fight the Assyrians off. And so when Hezekiah made it to him, that's why he told Assyria's kings, he said, He said, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. He's apologizing to the enemy. He said, I joined this, this alliance against you, and I'm sorry. I did wrong. Just name a price and I'll give it to you and just just go away. You can't reason with the enemy like that, guys. You can't. Me and Byron, when we faced off that demonic person, we didn't go, oh, you're right. We can't put a church here. Let me call the realtor and say, forget it. It's over. (laughs) No, we didn't do that. We didn't throw money at her and say, get out of here, you know. We're like, no, we're, just, <laughs> we're not going to deal with that. But he's apologizing to them like he did something wrong. I'm sorry for resisting you. That's not how he started off in verse 1. He was doing good in ver- from verse 1 out. Guys, what, what, some people had asked me, what are you going to make of this? Right? Here's what I'm going to make of it. Even the best of us have a bad time. Even the best of us mess up. Well, God can't use you anymore. You messed up. Uh Uh-uh. Stay here for the rest. (laughs) Be encouraged what God can do with a mess up like me and like Hezekiah. So as great as he started off, even Hezekiah had a low point. So he paid 10 tons of silver. I can't even imagine what that looks like. He paid him 10 tons of silver and a ton of gold. And that is one heavy, big price to pay. To be saved. Jesus paid one big heavy price to save you and me. But did he really have that much money laying around? Did Hezekiah have that much? 2 Kings 18-15, look what desperation and fear will make you do. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Remember I told you in those other passages that you can go and read that he restored the temple. Well, now it says those pillars that he overlaid, he he put gold on them, he stripped it all right back off again. Even the best of us get like this. Don't think God has abandoned you, or you're just messed up beyond repair. If you fall like this, where you start acting in desperation, come back to yourself and go. Wait a minute. Hang on. Reset. So Hezekiah was doing the buyout strategy, just like the kings before him, and he's stripping the pillars that he had reset that he had put back up uh, from he when he restored the temple. Now, King. Sent a cherub, king sent a cherub. I'm getting it. King sent a cherub. He was not satisfied with this payoff. It was not enough. I'm going to make him pay more. So now he's going to send some messengers to demand Judah's complete and total surrender. 2 Kings eighteen seventeen. You cannot reason with demons, guys. 2 Kings eighteen seventeen. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabserai, and the Rab, I I, I studied this name before service, I listened to a narration to make sure I got it right, Rabshakeh, 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 and any Hebrew people that don't like it, I'm sorry, I'm a fifth generation Texan redneck, and that's just going to be what it is, Rabshakeh. Okay, then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsarize, and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So king king sent a cherub. He sent his top guys. He sent his best officers, his best manipulators, his most aggressive guys with a military force to try to intimidate Hezekiah, to try to mess with their head. Now this aqueduct that they stood at here, This was a very busy place. People are going to come where the water's at. If you've been out to Jerusalem, it's a dry area. That's where lots of people are going to be, getting their water. That means they came there to intimidate there, also to get as many people scared as they could. You do it around water. Jesus preached by water. Lots of use with water. That gains lots of people real quick. So they wanted as many people as possible to hear them shout they're fear tactics. And that's what the news media wants of you today. They want you to come to that TV set and hear them holler. Second Kings 18:19. Then the Rabshekah said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they're mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who trusted him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God... Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So intimidating words here that he's got. He's trying to scare them. Who do you put your trust in? Who are you leaning on? Well, he, he said, what makes you think that you have the right or the power to stand up against the king of Assyria. He's going to knock you down so fast. The, this delegation that got sent into Jerusalem, they don't know the God of Israel, do they? Oh, are they in for it? Oh, I was reading that. Like, so now that the alliance that Hezekiah had joined, all the nations that were in it, they had all fallen out. They all gave up Assyria is too big. The only nation that was left was Egypt. And Egypt wasn't very strong at this point in history. And that's why Rabshakeh said Egypt was like a stalk of grass. And if any guy leaned on it, it would just, it would just break. There's nothing left of Egypt. You're losing all your hope. You don't have anything left that can help you. Who do you trust in to make you think you can take us on? Is what he's basically saying. So he was trying to make Hezekiah's men fear that their hope was was all sinking into the ground, that they had nothing left that they could trust in. You should be scared, is what he's saying. Again, I'm going to tell you, if you turn on the TV and if you start getting scared, you think of this moment here at the aqueduct. Who's your God? Who is your God? Oh, you should be scared. Everybody's losing their money. You should be scared, the news says. Sounds like the news. Rabshakeh also took a direct stab at the Lord by bringing up the fact that all of the high places of worship had been taken down. He says, y'all took these things down. You know, friends, the Lord never wanted those high places of worship up there, but for the, he wanted the people to come to the temple. That's the way the Lord wanted the worship to be done. So in Rabshakeh's mind, he thought these high places being taken down was a point of weakness for them, that somehow their God had abandoned them. Well, we might as well take the the high places down, I guess. Our God left us. And Rabshakeh is like, see, your God left you. See, you don't have Egypt. You can't take us on. Your God is gone. Y'all even just gave up on Him. You took the high places down. So he's trying to taunt Hezekiah into thinking that this was proof that the Lord God had left